Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. episode will air on Tuesday, September 3rd, 2019. I'm Shannon and I am here with an interview with author John Mars. I sat down with him last week and talked about his latest release entitled The Passengers, which is a speculative fiction novel, so stay tuned for that. And of course, I have your guide to this week's new releases. I also have some maintenance being done above my head. So if you hear strange pounding noises or like weird humming, buzzing noises, um, I apologize for that. It is some sort of outdoor repair that's happening. Um, So I tried to isolate myself from it as best I could, but I may not have been as successful as I hoped. Anyway, we of course have to start out with the usual housekeeping information and that is as follows you can find us on twitter and on facebook at book bistro podcast on facebook you are welcome to join our listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners and you can of course get a hold of us through um, messages or just you know writing on our page or on our twitter timeline And if you just want to get a hold of us via email, that is also an option for you. And that address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. All right. So let's move into the interview with John Mars. And I hope that all of you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed conducting it. Um, He was a really, really fun person to talk to. So I hope you love it. Welcome to another edition of, of the Book Bistro podcast. I'm Shannon, and with me today is author John Mars, whose latest novel, The Passengers, is releasing today, August 27th, here in the U.S. So, John, thank you so much for joining me today. No, thank you for having me, Shannon. You're very welcome. So, can we start out by giving listeners a little bit of a sneak peek into what The Passengers is about? Sure. It's um, it's a book that's kind of set what they describe as five minutes in the future. So it's not quite now, but it's not too far in the future either. And it's in a world where we're all in driverless vehicles. Um, so nine people climb into their driverless cars one morning, only for them to be told through their radios that their vehicles have been hacked and they're going to collide head on with one another later that morning so basically they think they have two and a half hours to live only one of them is going to be spared and it's up to social media and a jury to decide who should live and who should die and we are drip fed each passenger story to help us make up our minds as to whose side we're going to be on but who can you trust because they're not all telling the truth that's the basic premise no they certainly are not all telling the truth (laughs) (laughs) you have You have created, I think, a really complex cast of characters who all, in one way or another, has something to hide. 
Yeah. Was that a difficult thing for you to plan out and to know kind of who was hiding what? Um, I think once it was difficult trying to come up with, it was difficult trying to narrow down which characters I was going to use, to be honest. I had a big list of ideas of, of what backgrounds that they could have and then just tried to kind of cut it down bit by bit until they were kind of as believable as possible. Um, so, yeah, it was a lot to kind of take on board and to and to drip feed to people rather than just give them a, a big slab of, oh, this is what their secret is and just trying to get the pacing right. Because, as I say, it all, all occurs over two and a half hours. So the idea is just to keep it exciting and hopefully the reader will get an idea of the time scale. And I think that works really well. Like you know from the beginning, even though you see kind of bits and pieces from people's pasts, that the story is occurring in this very, very narrow window of time. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about the jury for a moment because one of the jurors is actually one of the novel's central characters. Yes. Um, did you originally start out by having her kind of in that central role or did that evolve as you wrote? I think it was important to try and get a flavour of what it would be like for a member of the public to be forced to go on a jury um, and to, but basically the jury is there to it's been established since driverless cars became the norm to decide whether uh, in, involved, in the event of a, fa a potentially fatal accident, who is to blame, the driverless car or the person who either stepped out in front of the car or who was, you know, was injured by it. And so I'm kind of, there's five people in the jury. One of them, I thought it was important to make her an ordinary member of the public so that she could kind of bring to the reader, make the reader think, well, what would it be like if I was in this situation? And then in the event of this hacking incident, I wanted her to, again, be our voice and how it would feel for her to decide who should live and who should die. Because it, it, for the, the, most, the most part, it, it's an impossible decision, isn't it? Sure no matter how much information you know we're given about a person you can never really know somebody just in a little profile so True. yes how would you decide which person you should sacrifice or which person you should save yeah because we all have prejudices don't we and so sure. and so hopefully this book taps into what the reader's prejudices are and hopefully makes them think again not you know you can't judge a book by a cover and all that and you can kind of see as the book goes on and you're learning more about this whole jury process that all of the members of the jury are operating under like some really specific biases. And I think it helps to sort of have the reader, you know, look at that and say, wow, you know, if I were given these choices, like these are the things that would influence them, you know, for me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm curious when you first started the book and you, you, you saw the characters, was there, was there one particular that you were on the side of and did that opinion change? Um, I liked Claire yeah. pretty much right away. Um, and at first I thought that I might like Sam, but that didn't last very long <laughs> I, I, it was kind of deliberate for I me sort to of try. decided that he was not I'm sorry go ahead 
Yeah, sorry, it was it, it was kind of deliberate for me to to try and lure you in with a with an innocent pregnant woman and and you know life is gonna it was looking up for her and things were starting to go great and then to try and turn things around and and make you think oh okay maybe she's not what we thought she was yes so it is you know a big thing now all of the ways in which artificial intelligence kind of plays into all of our lives and although we have not reached the point yet um, that you describe in your story i'm wondering if you believe that this is kind of where we're headed I think with artificial intelligence yes I think we are we are heading in a direction where it's going to become more and more prevalent um, whether that's a good or a bad thing I don't know I'm, I'm not expert enough to decide I I know that I'm not massively about as far as my artificial intelligence goes is using like Alexa and asking her to choose me some songs to play um, oh yes. <laughs> there's not really much else that I use artificial intelligence for. At least, well, at least I don't think I do. But then I suppose there's a lot of things going on behind the behind uh, the screen that we don't know about, isn't there? I think so. And you know, as somebody who is blind and so cannot drive, people have told me all of my life that it would be so great when driverless vehicles you know, were invented and then like once they were the norm. And I'm just not sure how I really feel about that. Like, I don't know that I want to get into a car that's controlled by technology. Why is that though? Um, I think because I don't have enough of an understanding of how technology works. Okay. And therefore I can't, I can't feel confident that, you know, I'm not going to like run off the road or, you know, crash through a fence. Yeah. I think everything that I've learned I, about driverless vehicles is that people, that they're going to be a lot, okay, rogue hackers in my book aside, they, these driverless vehicles are going to be a lot safer on the roads than us as drivers. Mm-hmm. In theory, it's just anyway. one of those things, you know, I see mm. like, how often does my computer malfunction, right? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. you know, I'll be typing up a document and then I get this thing and it says, oh, the computer wants to install updates. <laughs> yes. And I'm like, okay then. And I'm just thinking like, what would happen if you're driving down the road and all of a sudden there's some kind of glitch. Um, yeah. And as somebody who cannot see, I would feel just like incredibly vulnerable in that type of a situation like I can't over any kind of control that there is because I'm certainly not going to drive the car yeah um yeah, so that would be a a terrible thing were I to do it so whereby it, it potentially could give you more freedom it could also be a lot scarier putting your hands in the control in, in, in your life sorry in the hands of something that doesn't really exist yes yeah okay yes. I get that I get that But that is, you know, kind of what really intrigued me about the premise of The Passengers, just because this is the kind of thing that people had told me all of my life that I was going to be so grateful for this, like when it's actually (laughs) invented. I'm like, "Mm, I don't know. Maybe not. Please please tell me I haven't ruined this for you, Shannon. (laughs) No, you haven't. (laughs) I think my, my mind and my sort of like cynical nature of the world and what technology 
technology can and can't do perhaps um, has has ruined it for me. Okay, okay. So before you started writing fiction, um, do I understand correctly that you were a journalist? Yeah, for about 25 years. So some would argue when I was doing that, it was, it was fiction too. But no, it was um, I interviewed celebrities for a, for a living for various magazines and newspapers over here. So yeah, yeah, I did that for uh, 25 years. And then I started having a go at writing books just as a bit of fun, really. And it just kind of took off and progressed. And then I gave up journalism about 18 months ago and I've been doing it full time. So do you think that your background as a journalist um, has been useful to you in writing fiction or, or are the two just completely different and like unrelated? I think the journalism side of things has helped when it comes to hitting deadlines, when it comes to not waffling too much in books, because in a story you have got a certain amount of space to fill in to get the reader's attention and to and to write a story um so i think that's helped in that respect as well um mm -hmm. when it comes to the actual writing of books i don't think so because i was i was so um there's so two different types of stuff that i did as i say I, it was celebrities that i interviewed um which is yeah it was quite unrelated to fiction well unless mm -hmm. unless well maybe some celebrities who are a little bit creative with their lives perhaps and they've used a little bit of fiction in their descriptions yeah that's always possible i think <laughs> so can you talk a little bit about your process for writing fiction and how the book kind of comes together for you yeah it's like once the idea is there and the idea can come from anywhere whatsoever so it can come from um somebody that i've had a conversation with or something i've read online or seen on television once the idea is there and i'll kind of try and plot it out in my head i'm not much of a i'm not one of these people who sits and writes down the entire plot on four or five pages i'd rather just i think i'm just because I, I don't have any brothers or sisters so i'm an impatient only child so i just like to get on with it once i once i've got that idea and then just see where the story takes me. And so I try and give myself a limit of at least 2,000 words a day and just get everything that's in my head out on paper. And once, or I say on paper, on, on my computer, and once <laughs> I have the first draft of that, then I can start trying to turn it into something more readable. But a lot of my plotting is done with my, with my other half. We go walking around the park near to where I live, taking the dog for a walk, and and I just bat ideas off him and give and he gives me his his thoughts on what on what I'm saying to him, um, and because he doesn't he didn't read a huge amount of books until recently, so it's, it's really interesting to hear his take on things. Um, and then also a lot of my ideas when I have them are I kind of try and clear my mind as I'm going to sleep, and that's when things become a little bit clearer to me, um, and it helps kind of yeah plot my books if that makes any kind of sense at all. So do you have kind of a, a specific thing that maybe you do when you're finding a part of a story to be kind of difficult when you have kind of a block? Like, how do you work past that? I just I just work through it. I will just write it in whatever format it's going to come out in. And even if it's rubbish, it's still down on that page. Okay. Um, and, and then I will worry about it when I come to the second draft or the third draft or the fourth or the fifth. But I'll get there eventually. So I'm not going to sit here looking at a blank screen just because I can't get one paragraph or one little twist right. 
how many revisions do you normally end up going through? Or does it depend upon on each individual? I think uh, it usually takes me about six or seven months, potentially, so maybe even eight months to write uh, a first version of a book. So, um, And in that first version, there will be probably about five rewrites. Um, then it will go to my editor. He'll come back to me. I'll think it's great. Send it to my editor. My editor will be like, well, I'm not sure about this. I'm not sure about that. I will have a big sulk for a while. But then the day later, I'll realize that my editor is completely correct. <laughs> that that's why they do their job, because they know what they're talking about. But from start to finish, it's generally like it, um, probably over a year between me starting the book and it actually coming out in uh, coming out in print. Okay. And The Passenger is actually released um, in the spring over in the UK. Is that right? Yes, that's right. So how would you say it's been received um, in the months since then? From what I've seen, I'll I'll have a look at like the average reviews, the average like mark on Amazon, perhaps, or Goodreads. Uh But I won't I won't actually read the reviews. And from what I can see, it's done really, really well. I was unsure about it because it's a bit of a hard book to market, isn't it? I'd like to think that it's, you know, it is a it is a thriller, but then it has it's quite a character led thriller, and there's a lot of characters in it. It's a bit of a hybrid, uh, rather than being one thing or the other, and that makes it harder, I think, to try and sell to people. So when Heather over at um, Penguin Random House pitched it to me, yeah, um, she pitched it as kind of speculative fiction. And that, I thought, worked really well because it leaves it open for all of the things that you've made it. So you don't just sort of say, oh, you know, it's a thriller or it's a novel set in the near future or it's, you know, a story about characters who really aren't who they seem. It's all of those things. And yet it's not like exclusively any of those things. Yeah. I mean, it's you want to appeal to as many readers as you can with what you write but you can't spread yourself too thinly by trying to make everybody happy because I know that I can never make everybody happy but as you say yeah it's it's tough and yeah I like speculative fiction yeah we also call it over the earth five minutes in the future style book yeah so you said that you generally do not read the individual reviews of your work um is there a specific reason that you don't I try not to because I think I'll I'll do what everybody, what every writer does, what every musician or actor does. They'll just concentrate on any negative ones, and mm-hmm. you know you you could have a hundred brilliant reviews and one bad one, and you find yourself rereading the bad one. But I think when it comes to book reviews, I kind of worked out that they are not for my benefit. They are from one reader telling another reader what they think and whether they recommend it or they don't recommend it. And to be honest, it's none of my business. It's like me standing in a coffee shop listening into someone else's conversation. It's got nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm. But I, am, but I think I am. that's really interesting because as somebody who has reviewed books now um, for going on six years, I've met a lot of authors and everyone seems to have a slightly different um, view on like, you know, are reviews for authors? Do authors benefit from reviews? Or are they strictly like a reader space? And so I'm always interested in what people's kind of individual thoughts are on that. I think I think I re- reviews are vital for a writer's career. I think I really do think they are, as are blogs, podcasts such as this, 
Instagram pages. Without people like you and bloggers and reviewers, I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing now because that's the way promotion is done these days and word of mouth is done. And mm-hmm. I, I'll, I'll always be grateful to, to people such as yourself for taking the time to ask me questions. Um, but yeah, when it comes to reviews, yeah, I think I'll read reviews of other people's books before I'll download them or buy them. But yeah, it's just my own. I just yeah, I just don't think it's for me. What, what do you what's your take on it? I don't know. You know, I've had some really good exchanges with authors whose books I reviewed and some of them will come and say, you know, I think it's really interesting that you picked up on this particular you know, thought or plot point, because in their writing, perhaps that plot point wasn't as central Um, to them as it was to me or you know if I've pointed out a flaw sometimes people are really gracious about that and say you know now that you mentioned it I I realize like maybe that could have been handled a little bit differently or sometimes they'll say you know I chose to write it this way um, for whatever personal reason they have and that can kind of resonate with me as a reader Um, so I have enjoyed talking with authors and getting to know them and understanding kind of how and why they write the way they do. But I've also seen authors who, you know, respond very negatively to work, you know, to comments about their work. And so I think if somebody can't kind of strike ground, you know, maybe it's better than not to. Um, but I, I tend to kind of respect people's individual views on that. And if an author you know, isn't going to read my review or isn't going to you know, want to talk with me about what they do, I think that's perfectly fine. Um, but I'm, I'm always happy to kind of engage with authors and explain you know, my views and hear yeah. why perhaps they chose something that they chose. Yeah, I think as a writer, you need to have a thick skin. And if you can't take criticism, then maybe this is the wrong career for you because everybody has an opinion. I have an opinion Mm -hmm. on books. There are some books that I absolutely love. There are some books that I absolutely hate. I think one of the worst things authors can do is get involved in an argument with somebody who has criticized their book because that person, you are basically Uh saying, you're basically saying you don't have a right to an opinion when that person has every right to an opinion. and so, yeah, and I, I love engaging with readers in different ways, though, because I, you know, I'm across my, my, my social medias um, and I try my hardest to respond to every single message. I don't have anybody doing it for me. I'll do it all myself. And people are getting in touch with me via Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, because I think it's important. As I said to you, they have put me in the position that I'm at at the moment. Without them, I am back to interviewing celebrities again and uh, um, you know, doing mm-hmm. that kind of thing. I think it's important the writers remember who put them there. So speaking of you having an opinion on books, um, we here at Book Bistro are always really interested in what people are reading and loving Uh these days. So do you have anything that you've read recently that you would like to recommend to listeners? I, I actually made a note because I can I, I always have one or well, about two or three books on the go at once. I'll always have like a, one that a friend has asked me to read. So that'll be on a Kindle. There'll be a paperback that I want to read or there'll be a, an audio book. So I'll always have three kind of going on at the same time. And I was just thinking um, the ones that really struck out to me recently. Um, I love the recursion by Blake Crouch. Which oh, is, yes. Yeah, that yes. Was a bit of a bit of a mind flip that one. I have to get my head around that. But I enjoyed that. Um, I'm going to start The Warehouse by Rob Hart, which I think comes out very soon. 
uh, which was just come out over here. And I, I think, think it was it's just... out last week. Oh, okay. I think it was um, out here last week. Um, I have a copy of it here. Because I, 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 there's no one style of book that I that I like. I pretty much across the board, and it really surprised me just how much I fell in love with where the cruel dads sing Delia Owens. Oh yes. Oh, yes, that, was that just lovely. Got yeah. And then I'll go for, yeah, after that. that I, went, a... I went for something completely different after that and was a book called The Taking of Annie Thorne by British writer C.J. Tudor. But I think it's called something different over in the US. I have a few C.J. Tudor books here sitting on my iPad, um, yeah. but I have not read any yet. And my latest one that I downloaded that I started listening to yesterday was, uh, I know it's been out uh, well over a year, but Christina, is it Christina Doucher's Vox? Oh, I'm very excited about that. I have not gotten to it yet, Ooh, um, but I'm uh, so excited about it. Yeah, I can see the comparisons between that and Handmaid's Tale, but it's, it's, it's a cracker so far. I've got about five hours left. Oh, but I'm loving gosh. The sequel to The Handmaid's Tale oh, is coming my. out over here Yeah. Um, in the couple of weeks. Yeah, I think it's got a worldwide... So I think it's my plan to... Yeah, so my... Um, my plan is to reread The Handmaid's Tale kind of right before that one comes out uh-huh. so that I can dive into the testaments. Yeah. Can I ask you a question? Sure. How do you find the time to get through so many books? <laughs> How do you make so that time? Basically my, so basically my life consists of taking care of cats and reading books. And so this is, this is what I do all day, every day. Um, I read books, I talk to authors, I record podcasts, um, and I hang out with cats, and it's amazing. Sounds like the perfect life. It is. I love it so much, and I think I'm <laughs> so lucky to be able to to do this and to give so much of my energy to things that I'm so passionate about. Mm. So before I let you dash off to your next interview, is there anything that you can tell us about your next project? I have two books on the go at the moment uh, that I one of them's almost completed the final version of and the other one I'm still just working on. So I'm, but hopefully I plan on taking a bit of time off from November for a while. But um, yeah, one of them is a domestic thriller about two women who share a house Ooh. together, but who hate each other um and you gradually <laughs> uh, and you gradually find out over the years why they hate each other and then another one is a uh, uh, the next one is a, another psychological thriller with a kind of st- kind of speculative fiction about five people who know every secret in their country so they know the truth behind every government lie every conspiracy theory and every cover up but they can't tell anybody and one by one someone's trying to kill them yeah i imagine they are <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'd be nice if one day I could write a nice, happy, little, cheery story, but I don't think that's going to happen. Shannon. Oh no, no! I I have you know it's it, um, some of my team wants to do an episode on light reads, right? And it is so hard for me to like pick a light, <laughs> fluffy book. <laughs> so no, I kind of like you know the darker the better, the happier I am. Yeah. So okay. do you know yet when we can um, expect these? I think they probably won't be both out until about the first half, like towards the towards the middle of next year, I think, because I they're two different okay. publishers. So one of them's right. Yeah, so one of them's Thomas and Mercer, which is an Amazon uh, owned uh, publishing company, and the other one is over in the UK. It's um, it's Penguin. 
but then it kind of varies around so the world. Do you generally try to write two books a year? Yeah, I try and kind of do that. Yeah, yeah. I see, see, you know, it doesn't always work. Sometimes it's it's more like kind of two books every 18 months or so. But okay. yeah, it's been a bit of a hard slog sometimes. But then there are other people that I know who just churn them out and do great jobs. And I think I don't have your work ethic. I am too lazy. Oh, like Nora Roberts and like her four books a year? How does she do that? <laughs> How does she do that and have the time to eat? <laughs> she says that she forces herself to sit in a chair every day from nine until five. And if you do that, you can write four books a year. I would have to turn the internet off and close the curtains. Uh-huh. Only way she that would definitely work. definitely has... Yeah, she definitely has like some really hardcore discipline that yeah. I'm not sure I would have. No, would well, I. I want to thank you so incredibly much for chatting with me today and for writing such a remarkable speculative novel. Oh, thank I you. wish you the best of luck here on your U.S. release day. And with all of your future projects, I'm really excited about the two things that you talked about today thank you shannon thank you very much for having me and, and for all the work you do for people like me you yeah you're, you're amazing thank you you're welcome it is my pleasure okay now september 3rd is a fantastic 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 release day um, I was sort of halfway tempted because of the maintenance happening here not to do a new release episode this week, but then I realized that that would be really terrible because there are some great books coming out and I would be sad not to be able to talk about them. So as always, this is not a comprehensive list by any stretch of anyone's imagination. There are so many books out every week and I just could never tell you about all of them. So this is a sampling. It's made up of things that I'm personally excited about, things that one or more of my co-hostesses are excited about, or things that I just think would be of general interest to the listenership of Book Bistro. If you are super thrilled about something and I haven't mentioned it, please let me know. That helps me curate these lists so that they can appeal to the widest possible variety of our listeners. So the first several books that I'm going to talk about are books that you've heard us mention before um, on our most anticipated books of September episodes. I'm going to go through these kind of quickly um, and then we'll move on to new, new releases. So first up is The Paris Orphan by Natasha Lester. This is a dual timeline historical novel set during World War II and Stacy was really excited about it. And then I have to talk about Bringing Down the Duke, League of Extraordinary Women, book one by Evie Dunmore. And I am really, really happy that this is finally out. Min was super excited about it as well. It has gotten so much positive buzz. It is a historical romance set during the time of the suffragist movement in England. Another book that Min is excited about is the young adult novel entitled Rated, and that's by Melissa Gray. It's young adult fantasy slash dystopia. I'm not quite sure which it would fall into, but it looks super great. 
I talked about a young adult fantasy novel called Serpent and Dove. Serpent and Dove, book one by Shelby Mahirin, and it is out today. I'm very excited. I want it right, 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 right now. Um, Kristen was intrigued by the synopsis of the kind of contemporary novel, American Royals, um, which talks about what life might be like if the U.S. was run by a royal family, and that is by Catherine McGee. Natalia and Brooke are both very excited about the new Eve Dallas novel. This is Vendetta in Death, and it is In Death, number 49, by J.D. Robb. And um, Natalia and Sarah, and probably a few other people as well, are very, very thrilled that there is a new October Day book out today. This is The Unkindest Tide by Seanan McGuire. It is October Day, number 13. Okay, so these are now um, books that have not been mentioned before. First up is Witching Bones. It is Wild Hunt, number 8. Anti-Fay Adventure number two by Yasmin Gallinorn. This is the sequel to July's um, Witching Hour, which I absolutely loved. It is, I think, my favorite in the series, so I'm so excited to dive into Witching Bones sometime soon. So again, this is the second novel featuring Raven Bone Talker, and it's set in, of course, the universe of her Wild Hunt series. So this is Witching Bones, Wild Hunt number eight, Anti-Fay Adventure Number 2 by Yasmin Gallinorn, and that came out yesterday, so September 2nd. And I have to talk about The Harp of Kings. Um, this is the new novel by Juliette Marillier, and a lot of my co-hostesses love her work. I fell in love with her when I read her Seven Waters series many years ago. Um, this is The Harp of Kings, and it's Warrior Bards, book one. Um, Sarah, who was not able to join us for um, the September, most anticipated books of September episode, but she asked me to give this a special shout out from her. So this is a fantasy novel about a bard who goes undercover as a traveling minstrel in an attempt to thwart some kind of political intrigue that is going on in her world. So this again is The Harp of Kings, Warrior Bards, book one by Juliette Marillier. This next book is called Taboo and it's by Kim Scott. This is an author that I've not heard of before, but the synopsis definitely intrigued me. It's set in contemporary Australia and it's about a group of people who are trying to atone for a massacre that happened like 200 years ago. And I'm not quite sure how this will all play out, but I am intrigued by it. It's Taboo by Kim Scott. Contemporary romance fans will be very, very happy to know that there's a new Talia Hebert novel out today, and it is Work For It. Um, it is billed as a hot, angst-filled male-male romance, and it's set in the world of her Just For Him series. Um, it is worth noting that this is only available as an ebook, 
So if you're looking for it in some other format, you will be disappointed. But this again is Work For It, and it is a standalone by Talia Hubert. Stacy read a book by Irina Shapiro last year and really enjoyed it. So now I am very intrigued by this author. She is releasing The Betrayed, and it is the seventh book in her Echoes from the Past series, which look like dual timeline novels about people making kind of discoveries. I know in the first book, our main character is an archaeologist, and then we move back and forth um, from the present back to some discoveries of things that she has made in the past. Um, I'm not quite sure if this one follows a similar formula, but I did want to mention it here just because I know that Stacy has enjoyed these. So this is The Betrayed, Echoes from the Past, Book 7, by Irina Shapiro. Shanna Galen is releasing A Duke A Dozen, and this is the sixth book in her Survivor series. I have read the first three of these and was really enchanted by them. Um, this is about a group of men who come back from the Napoleonic Wars where they were tasked with like some missions that should have ended up killing them all. And these are, of course, the survivors of these missions. And we get to watch them find love along with dealing with some of the, the physical and emotional um, aftermath of the war. It's pretty similar to Mary Ballow's Survivor Club series. So if you enjoy that, you might want to check out Shanna Galen's Survivors. And this one is book six in this series, and it's called A Duke A Dozen. Shall we talk about a twisty psychological thriller? I think we should. This is A Girl Named Anna by Lizzie Barber. And it's the story of two girls who grow up far, far apart. But is it possible that they're sisters who were torn apart by abduction? If you want to find out the truth, that is A Girl Named Anna by Lizzie Barber. This next book intrigues me. I get the feeling that it will be a very difficult read, but this is The Falling of Stars by Tracy Finley. And it is about a high school freshman who commits suicide and the kind of ripple effect that this has on his community, including his English teacher, who also happens to be a close friend of the family. So once again, it's The Falling of Stars by Tracy Finley. Okay, this next book makes me so, so happy. I have to try to talk about it in a reasonable way and not, you know, kind of just deteriorate into a squealing mess. This is Five Dark Fates, and it is the fourth book in Kendari Blake's Three Dark Crown series, and it is supposed to be the conclusion. I'm really sorry to see this series come to an end, but I'm also very excited to see how she wraps it up. So this is the story of three sisters, they're triplets, and two of them will die so that the third can become queen. Um, I've read the first two books in the series. I'm going to read the third and fourth really close together. Um, it's so fantastic. So this is Five Dark Fates, Three Dark Crowns, book four by Kendari Blake.
And let's go back to psychological thrillers. This is Third Party by Brandy Reads. And it asks the question, is it murder or is someone playing mind games? I'm guessing neither one is like very good, but one of them is preferable. So once again, it's Third Party by Brandy Reads. This next novel um, is called The Sweetest Fruits, and it's a historical novel by Monique Tron, and it's told in the voices of three women, each of whom spent time with a famous Japanese writer and kind of how they influenced his success. Um, I don't know a ton about this novel beyond that little brief um, blurb that I gave you, but it looks very, very cool, especially if you enjoy historical fiction. So it is The Sweetest Fruits by Monique Trong. Rachel Kane is an author that Natalia really, really enjoys, and she is releasing the fifth book in her Great Library series. This is Sword and Pen, and I have not read this particular series, but I have enjoyed her more kind of thrillery series, which is called Stillhouse Lake. So this is young adult fantasy, and if you're a fan, you'll want to check it out. It is Sword and Pen, The Great Library, number five, by Rachel Kane. Now we have There Will Come a Dawn There Will Come a Darkness. And this is Age of Darkness number one. It's by Katie Rose Poole. And it is uh, billed as kind of a mix of Graceling and Six of Crows. It's about five people who have to band together if they hope to defeat this terrifying darkness that is sweeping across the world. It's There Will Come a Darkness, Age of Darkness, book one by Katie Rose Poole. And we have next Dark Dawn, and it is the third and final book in the Nevernight series by Jay Kristoff. Um, I read and loved the first book a couple of years ago, so definitely want to catch up with this series. It's about a female assassin, and I am so excited. So this is Dark Dawn, Nevernight, book three by Jay Kristoff. Next up is Small Silent Things by Robin Page. And it's about two neighboring families who are struggling to lay the ghosts of their pasts to rest. Now, what I don't know is, are their pasts connected? I kind of assume so, um, since it's the story of both of them. But if you want to find out for sure, you'll have to read it. And it is Small Silent Things by Robin Page. This next book delights me in like every possible way. This is called Pretty Guilty Women and it's by Gina Lamana. So if you love Big Little Lies, and I'm not really sure like why you wouldn't, but if you do, you will want to check this out. This is the story of four women all of whom confess to committing the same murder. Now, they don't say that they committed it together. Each of them takes full responsibility for the crime on her own. So why and who and how? Um, this is something I need in my life, like right now. 
So it's Pretty Guilty Women, and it is by Gina Lamana. Next up is a mix of kind of YA science fiction and fantasy. This is Eclipse the Skies, Ignite the Stars, number two by Maura Milan. I heard an interview with this author um, on a young adult podcast earlier this year and was just really, really captivated by how she talked about the world that she's created. So I'm really excited. I need to pick up the first book though. So this again is Eclipse the Skies and it is Ignite the Stars, book two by Maura Milan. So I'm going to kind of make a hard right turn here and talk about some very disturbing historical fiction here for a moment. This is The Third Daughter by Talia Karner. And this is, like I said, a historical novel that takes place at the turn of the 20th century. And it's the story of the thousands of Jewish women who were sold into prostitution during this time. Um, this is something that I regrettably like did not know about until this book was first um, kind of leaked into the universe. So I definitely want to check it out, but I don't anticipate that it will be like a fun, easy read. So this is The Third Daughter and it's by Talia Karner. And last up, we have another historical novel. This is The Secrets We Kept by Lara Prescott. It is a thrilling tale of secretaries turned spy, spies who are trying to infiltrate Soviet Russia, but not in the way that you would expect. So that once again is The Secrets We Kept by Laura Prescott. So that is all I have for today. Um, it was a hard list to make because there are a lot of things that I just couldn't talk about, even though I'm sure they're great and I'm sure that many of you are excited about them, but please let me know um, which things I left out that kind of, you know, are exciting you. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, it kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody. Thank you.